hey, Ash Ketchum just finally won a Pokemon League after 22 years of grinding it out. So if you've ever set your mind to something and felt at all like you couldn't do it, uh, just think back to Ash Ketchum, who's perpetually 12 years old and took 139 episodes to win the Alolan Region Championship. Well, I, I respect that. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. I am not Justin. I am just Nathan. I'm just we're Justin. coming to you. Yeah. Okay. Well, we said that. Yeah. So we're coming to you. Stop interrupting me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the intro one today. Talk about football. We're coming to you today to talk about the most recent UGA game against Arkansas State this weekend. Before we get into everything, we're going to do our sort of regular review process that we have established over the past three years, which is shocking that we've made it to three years. I mean, I'm shocked that I'm alive from three years ago to now, but just in general, <laughs> it's also shocking that we made it three years. But before we do that, we want to talk about one thing briefly here at the top of the show before, uh, while we have you as a captive audience before you decide to leave. So we are currently actually recording this live in front of a small audience. So you may have seen this on Twitter, but um, we've had a Patreon for, I guess, over a year now. I think we've had it since, yeah, it's been a year. You're right. Yeah, we've never really pushed it because we don't feel like it provides like a huge value add to people. It doesn't. I mean, I felt like people were just giving us money and that was cool, but they we weren't necessarily giving them much back. But we kind of do have some actual benefits now. So what we've done is we created a Discord, which if you're uh, were born before, I don't know, 1980 and you don't know what that is. Discord is a chat app that is very popular in gaming circles, but it's a very robust app that can be divided into channels and where you can do voice chat. So if you are a member of the Patreon, and I actually think we've invited anyone above $1, so... That's right. $1 gets you in. Yeah, it's very cheap. If you're a member of the Patreon, you can hop on here and get, be a part of chats. You can get Ask CBC questions in, uh, you know, first chance at Ask CBC questions. You can see my li me and Justin's live notes from the game. You can see all of the stat stuff that I'm making uh, via SB Nation right as I do them instead of like three or four days later. And mm -hmm. even better, you can listen in live while we record. We're also going to be doing some live chat stuff where we uh, just kind of sit around and shoot the crap with people on and off. And we'll be kind of developing this as a community for Ask CBC going forward. Ask CBC, well, sure, but CBC in general going forward. So we're really excited about it. We think it would be really dope if you came and gave us some money for all this stuff that we're doing. <laughs> but if you if you didn't, that's fine because we love you all either way. And yeah. you know, honestly, honestly, money is just a chain that holds us to the capitalist systems that repress us. <laughs> the only thing the only thing you have to lose is your chains, brothers and sisters. It's a social construct. Uh, but uh, while we're at it, just give us some money for making this weird thing. Yeah, yeah. If we have to use money, which we shouldn't, you know, we're all. We're all wage slaves. So <laughs> anyway, so let's get into it. Yeah. Let's talk about our experience and the subjective narratives going into this game, review of the subjective narratives and our experience going in. Uh, Justin, you want to start us off here? Yeah. I know you probably had a very unique experience just with uh, everything going on with the pink out and everything. And, and I, I'm very interested to hear more about uh, just morning games in general and noon kickoffs because there were a lot, of, uh, a, a lot that I saw just going out into the Twitter sphere and, and general social media talking about how we have had nine noon kickoffs since 2014. And my darling wife, who was a Redco herself, told me all about how awful they are. 
because you have to wake up at like four or five in the morning, from what I understand, and be at practice at six in the morning. Um, and that's just me throwing out numbers. You can actually speak more truth to that uh, yourself since you have been doing them. And you've, I imagine you've been at all of those nine kickoffs at noon. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... So it, it sounds pretty rough, but I'm, I'm excited to kind of hear a little bit more about that uh, for the, the folks that aren't Redcoat uh, listeners on, for, of the show. So you can kind of share a little bit more of that in a second. And I want to hear more about um, the pink out and, and kind of the feelings that, that kind of the, the general energy at the game and what was going on and everything and how everybody felt. And because I know from a somebody who was watching on the TV up in the mountains where I was, uh, I got pretty tired personally of everybody asking Blake Anderson about his deceased wife and how he was feeling. And I was like, are you really like <laughs> of all the yeah. things you could be asking yeah. him about the game or anything, you have to bring up this thing that just happened two weeks ago. I mean, he's being hit constantly with it visually uh, mm-hmm. being at this game, which is a very, very nice gesture. It's very, very nice. And I think it's, it's absolutely incredible, but there, there needed to be a, a line drawn in my own opinion, um, just trying to put myself in his shoes. But what can you share about, the day the, the the beginning to to end kind of thing i want to hear more about the morning i want to hear about the game um without statsy goodness but kind of your walkthrough yeah so we the red coats this year have been we've adjusted our game day schedule in order to make things easier on everybody and also just because our current emphasis is really on student safety and making sure that we're keeping everybody safe not just you know the minimum amount of safe that you can be and be alive but also just like increasing everybody's mental health mm-hmm. with you know uh with the schedule so there have been a couple of things we've moved the time down see the the problem the time problem has always been there's a there's a twofold time problem one anytime you have a big game regardless of whether it starts at 12 or not parking becomes an issue and so to ensure that the whole band can get a parking spot a lot of times you have to just come early mm-hmm. right so even on an 8 p.m. kick, it's still going to be a relatively early day, like a 9 or 10 day as opposed to a 5 day, just so we can get everybody on campus and parked. But when you're actually talking specifically about noon games, which tend to not be big games, the issue is that you have to so you have to start early to get to the dog walk on time. Because mm-hmm. 450, if you want to practice at all in the morning, and we usually do need to practice in the mornings because everybody needs to practice every day. Um, so if you want to practice in the morning you basically have to get there super early and then go straight over to the stadium and then go to the dog walk. Not problem. But one of the things that's come up since Kirby has come is that when Kirby got here, he moved the dog walk time back, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And he made it shorter. So basically like there's more time between the dog walk and the start of the game and the dog walk takes less time to do. So that all sort of led to a circumstance last year where we were getting here at like four and then we would go to the dog walk and then we would just sit in the stadium in the sun for like two hours and eat and then play the game. So we kind of like switched things up where uh, most games will be going into Tate and we've got like a room reserved. It's private. Don't just show up. Um, <laughs> we've, got, we've got like a room reserved for kids to like cool off and everybody to have time to just sort of decompress after the dog walk. And then we march back in after that um experientially you know 12 o'clock games suck and there's mm-hmm. not really much you can do about that they're all gonna suck i mean we're working on some more things to make it a more comfortable experience for everybody getting more water into the stands getting more snacks in the stands stuff like that but ultimately like it's just hot right and yeah. actually like i think that you know it wasn't too bad for a noon kickoff it wasn't mm-hmm. quite like austin austin p last year and then uh murray state were two sort of high watermarks for how bad a noon kickoff can be 
Um, because what people forget is that, you know, the band doesn't leave. So when yeah. there's like 2000 people left in the stadium and it's 55 to zero, we're still just there just hanging out and playing on every down. So, um, I think the adjustments have been good, but also I just think like to some extent, there's no way to totally ameliorate the, the not danger, but the hassle of it. Um, I thought other experiential things, I mean, I thought the pink out thing was pretty cool. The yeah. Redcoats had a pretty good time. Everybody mm-hmm. wore bandanas and hats. But yeah, I could see how, you know, in the broadcast, it kind of got old. I, I, when I rewatched it, I watched it mostly muted. I'll clarify too, though. I, I don't want to say like, I don't think the pink out itself was old or worn out. I think that everyone, the only thing they were speaking to him about was his deceased wife. And I thought that that was a bit inappropriate. That's all. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I, I mean, everybody deals with mourning differently, but mm-hmm. for most people, just constantly having it brought up is not helpful. It's, yeah. Uh, let's see. Other, you know, sort of experiential things for me. I, I, I bought a Camelback, like a mm. hydration bladder, uh, because I didn't want to get dehydrated anymore, and I drank four liters of water. <laughs> so that was fun. <laughs> and I, I drank four liters of the water, and like when I got home, I was still thirsty. So now I'm just starting to wonder, like, what does the actual input need to be for me not to like almost die? Yeah. Um, had a really good show. Redcoats had a great show, and while we were on the sidelines, I got a really fun picture of Kirby just like dog cussing uh, George Pickens. It was right after the larry uh lawrence cager touchdown yeah and i think he had run the wrong route and he got he gotten caught up and i was like five feet away when he pulled him in and was just yelling into his ear hole mm-hmm. so that was fun there was there were a lot of yelling uh between blaylock cager and pickens like lots of chewing out <laughs> let's see how i mean but you you didn't really talk about your experiences no yeah um i watched on tv we were up in the mountains we went, went up to dahlonega uh which we found out closer to the actual trip that there was going to be what was being uh, advertised as a president trump rally but what in actuality was a white supremacist rally that was yeah. being held up in Delonica downtown but that's that's not cool yeah and the reason why i say it's a white supremacist rally is because it was being uh it was being organized by a former member of the kkk and really with one of those things how often you know how likely is it that he is truly a former member of the KKK? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, those ideas like, don't just die away. Unless he had a very public moment where he, you know, had all of his tattoos removed or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be it's interesting. unlikely. Yeah. But um, the cabin itself was about 20 minutes away from the downtown area. And we, we watched it up from the downtown, or not the downtown area. We watched it from the cabin itself. And uh, it was really great. We didn't start the game till about 1245 and so i got to kind of work through all of the commercials and pause and really take fun notes and and really kind of do my best to di- dissect this game as much as i possibly could for a blowout like this <laughs> but it was it was absolutely beautiful delonica is a beautiful city um the surrounding area is beautiful it's uh just fantastic we got to bring our dog up there and go up with some really close friends and had a really great time um, I also found out, this is something I wrote down in our notes, but totally forgot until just now. But hey, Ash Ketchum just finally won a Pokemon League after 22 years of grinding it out. So if you've ever set your mind to something and felt at all like you couldn't do it, uh, just think back to Ash Ketchum, who's perpetually 12 years old and took 139 episodes to win the Alolan Region Championship. Well, I, I respect that. He didn't start in <laughs> he didn't start in Alola though, did he? No, no, no. Alola like, is the, the latest one. He started in Kanto. One, yeah. He went to Johto. I can go all on. I'm not going to do that. 
But he did it, and I respect that. He did that. it. Yes. Have they aged him in? Have they aged him in universe? I think he's maybe a couple years older, but he looks younger. Like the animation has made him look younger, but he is actually a couple yeah. years older, but not by much. Huh. See, I really want. I want to see like thirty-year-old Ash Ketchum, where all the spark is gone, but he's really good at it. And if he's you like, want that, then you should read the manga, because <laughs> that is a real thing. Is it really? Yeah. He's like, this is the thing I'm best at. But what if the art? What if your art was death? Yeah. <laughs> what if your art was repression? What would you do then? Uh, and it's just like I want. I want Max Payne Pokemon Edition is what I really want. Ooh, that'd be that'd be really dark. Do you want to share anything more on your experience before we get into the subjective narratives that we're kind of going into this game? Not really. I mean, it was it was sort of boring. It was like boring levels of excellence, mm-hmm. which. Uh, you know, I talked to the band director today or to Brett on the way out about how, like, do you guys, do you remember when we didn't just beat the crap out of teams that we should beat the crap out of, <laughs> crap out of and it was like a constant problem and we would almost lose to say, I don't know, fricking nickels. There were uh, a few subjective narratives that I think were kind of touched on throughout this game. Uh, one of them is that this is the best team UGA has played this season so far. Uh, what can you kind of say to that now that we have uh, kind of gone through this game? Um, I think they are. Yeah, actually. I mean, I, I think they are the best team we played this year. Uh, I think we also had our best performance on the year. And mm-hmm. so it ended up not mattering. But, you know, I mean, and I said this on Twitter afterwards, this was a team that was higher ranked than Vanderbilt coming into this game. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, sm- part of that small sample size, even per SPN, pl- but even systems like FEI and SP plus that use last year's data still had them higher ranked than mm-hmm. Vanderbilt. And, you know, I think it's, on at the most facile shallow level it is positive that we are beating better teams by a higher margin Mm -hmm. and i understand that that is facile but you know that i mean i think it's it's still it's still a good like uh what's the word broad view way to measure how well are you doing it's just Mm -hmm. like are you blowing people out that you should blow out i mean i think the axiom that great teams destroy not great teams is true and if UGA wants to be great, it has to do stuff like this. Yeah, absolutely. One more storyline that I was I saw that they were talking about on ESPN while I was actually watching the show is a Georgia storyline for the year. They threw out a few of these, and most of them were kind of like, eh. The one that stuck out to me the most that I wanted to bring up was the beat Bama or bust storyline, is that that's all we have our mind on, and that uh, that's all we're really trying to fight for at this point. So based off of what you've seen so far this season, do you think there's any chance that Bama isn't the team to beat for us by the end of the year or that that truly is how we are kind of looking at this season? From a outside perspective, from a sort of like national perspective, mm-hmm. I think that that, you know, that logic makes sense. But from an individual perspective, from an in, and especially from an inside the team perspective, I, I I would have a really hard time imagining that Kirby would say that it's beat Bama or nothing else, right? Yeah. Kirby wants to win the national championship. Sure. It doesn't really matter how that happens. Now, do I think we're probably going to have to beat Alabama to win the national championships? Yes. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there's no reason. I, that that's, that's stupid because it's reductive, mm-hmm. right? Because the ultimate goal is to win the national championship. It doesn't really matter if you beat Bama or not. Because ultimately, like, let's say that UGA loses to Bama, then because of the rankings, UGA ends up playing, you know, Clemson and beating Clemson in the, or UGA ends up playing someone else in the first round and then beats Clemson in the second round. Mm -hmm. UGA is still the national champion. And if they're talking 
like it's like kiss this ring then like whatever like i i don't really think it matters like certainly in sort of the narrative viewpoint that espn did you know tends to approach things from it makes the most sense to focus on beating bama but that's even if you're even if your stated goal is to only beat alabama and that's the only thing you really want to do it's still less efficient to go about it by focusing on beating Bama mm-hmm. because for beating Bama to matter, you have to win every game or at least all but one of the games between now and then. Right. So, yeah. or, or for it to even happen, you have to win. So it's, it's a, it's a kind of dumb way to think about things because it's unhelpful. Even if that is your goal. Do you want to, do you have anything else you want to kind of talk about as far as subjective narratives, this game goes before we get into the box score? No, not really. Let's, let's, let's go through some box score numbers. Yeah. Let's talk numbers. You want to run us through your, your beauty here? Yeah, so this, I mean, I I have, and this will be something that we go into more more for the Notre Dame week, and especially for the uh, when we when I release the Notre Dame column over on Dog Sports. But I have like sort of perfected not my final form, but a, a very advanced form of what I want to do with these box scores. Uh, but instead of trying to just run everything off, I think it's really interesting to look at margins here. I talked yeah. about margin in my last SB Nation column, and sometimes margins can really tell you tell you everything you need to know. So a couple of margins that I think are really important. There's just three that we can probably just do three margins, and this will tell the entire tale of the, the, the yeah. game, right? Uh, Georgia had 9.9 yards per play. Arkansas State had 3.2. You're probably, blowing so, you're probably blowing someone out once you do that, right? Mm-hmm. But that's a raw number, right? We, we want to avoid raw numbers because they, they're not adjusted in any way, and they don't really tell us about context, right? Empty yards are a real thing. So let's look at some – let's dive in some numbers, right? Uh, success rate. UGA had 61% success rate, which is really good. Arkansas State had 29%. Having over 30%, 30% and over success rate margin means that you win the game about 99% of the time. Yeah. Right? If you just saw that one number, you would know without even looking at anything else who had won the game. Right? Rush success rate, 52% for Georgia, 29% for Arkansas State. Pass success rate, 70% for Georgia, 30% for Arkansas State. That kind of leads, that last one's pass success rate leads, leads you into a point I think you wanted to make about the passing game on the day. Yards per play rush was mm-hmm. 8 to 2.75. Yards per play pass was 11.75 to 3.5. Every one of those margins is is in the outer quartile of the of the range right mm-hmm. if you took all the margins in every game those would all be in the top the you know the, the higher quartile of the of uh what what you would see of the bell curve mm-hmm. right um dialing in a little bit more a couple of things like you know just addressing things that we've talked about in the past uh uga's short rest success rate on the day was 100 which is always good and that's something that people really want to see uga's defensive third down success rate in terms of like how often we let people convert third downs 29 percent, pretty pretty good Mm -hmm. not you know not quite as good um as you'd like it to be for this to be a great defense but we might not need it to be with how good this offense is and we'll talk about that more later on Mm -hmm. standard down success rate surrendered 67 percent. that's about the only bad defensive number on the day for georgia and uh i don't want to tip my hand here but it's also one of the only bad defensive numbers for georgia on the season uh you know but however we did have a 75 percent success rate on standard downs and a 42 percent success rate on passing downs both of those are very good so, I mean, overall, this was a total domination. Really, all the numbers tell you is that this was not a fluky domination. This is this was a pretty much start to finish deconstructing of a team. I would, I, if I was going to use a verb, I would say maybe that like we atomized them, right? <laughs> we turned we turned we turned them into a fine pink mist, mm-hmm. 
and then we pinked out. So it was and then we pinked out. Yeah, that that was the second use of all that pink was that it disguised the the atomizing mist. <laughs> really, I I have a lot more to say about UGA stats on the season than I do about this game. Yeah, the the story that the stats tell you is the story that you saw. I mean, it can be instructive to show you how directly correlated some of these advanced statistics are to like the result of the game but it doesn't really help us with any analysis because there's not even really a deeper level that you can look to Mm -hmm. right i mean usually had a very good explosive rate we had a very good havoc rate we got above 20 percent, which i know was the goal our stuff rate was 21 percent, which is also very good our opportunity rate uh given our opportunity rate on offense was 52 percent above more than half of our passes went five yards or more um yeah so i mean it's just front to back there's really nothing there's nothing in these numbers that tells you that it's anything than just a complete deconstruction of a team Mm, it's not bad any yeah anything else you want to look at here um i was also pretty astounded by the fact that and it's something i didn't notice in the game until it kind of dawned on me and i was taking notes is that arkansas state didn't hit the red zone until what was it seven and a half minutes left in the game in the game seven and a half minutes they finally saw the red zone so their uh their red zone drive rate or whatever, mm-hmm. which is the percentage of drives that they have in that actually got to the red zone was eight percent. Eight percent. Right, which is just one. One of their how many drives do they have? Uh thirteen they, drives. Yeah. And zero percent red you know, red zone success rate as well. Zero percent red zone T D rate, right? Mm-hmm. Their scoring opportunity rate, which was how many times they got within the forty, was at fifteen percent which was two of their drives that made it inside of the UGA 40. It's a tough I mean, day. They, they were just, yeah, they absolutely had nothing to do. And what I really think of one, one, one stat I do want to look at that I think is like really instructive of how well I, at this point, I think the stat, and we can go into this more later, but mm-hmm. I think the stats tell us that UGA's back seven on defense is playing better than its front four. And I think one of the ways that you can look at that is that, so on the day, Arkansas state's um, success rate passing mm-hmm. was 29%. But if we look at their individual passing stats, uh, Logan Bonner, his success rate was 32%, which is below average, mm-hmm. but still not like horrible. But even with a 32% success rate, he he really did. His explosive rate was 8%. Yeah. Right. So he, he was getting a lot of empty yards. That's what I noticed. And like, you know, he needed he had a third and eight and he got six yards many, many times that happened. And so to me, what that says is that we're we're tackling very well. Right. Like we're we're not just tackling very well. We're like tackling strategically and we're making good open field tackles mm-hmm. and we're being aware of the sticks. When you give up a slightly below average, just slightly below average uh, success rate in passing, uh, but then you don't surrender any points. What that says is that you're doing a really good job of open field tacking, tackling, right? Like Bonner's um, Bonner's completion rate on the day was 57%, which is really not bad, right? 60, 60% is the general number that mm-hmm. people shoot for. So it wasn't like he was never hitting his receiver's hands. He was, but it just didn't, it didn't matter, right? It doesn't matter if on third and eight, you, you know, throw a three yard pass. Yeah. So that's one number that I think is indicative of how sure the tackling was. And I thought, you know, we talked about wanting our back seven to wrap up. And I thought I thought they did a pretty good job of it. I think Richard LeCount had one sort of bad tackle, but other than that, I thought a lot of people looked really, really good. I thought Mark Webb looked good. I thought both of the outside line, the inside linebackers, the Monty Rice and Trey Crowder, both looked very good wrapping up, and that's been sort of an issue in the past. So I'm, I was very happy with the performance. I mean, ultimately, if you're playing an FBS school, even if they're a Sun Belt school, and you blow them out by this this dominant a margin, it's hard to complain. So 
what, since we're kind of getting into the the a bit, uh, we've talked a little bit about passing and receiving, and so I want to talk about one narrative coming out of this game uh, that's going to definitely be part of the narrative going into next week's game is the the issue of our two of our best wide receivers um, are injured. So we don't know to what extent just yet. I know we heard Kirby Smart say that they're not super serious and he thinks they're going to be just fine with uh, Robertson. I think that he just had uh, some sort of sprain or and he was kind of uh, just kind of resting it out. And then everybody saw Tyler Simmons uh, get hurt. And we're not sure to what extent that is yet. And we won't know until Monday. But if we still look down this list of receivers and the stat lines just down the receiver line, is there anything in there that makes you feel like we're not set up to do well if those two players don't come out next weekend? Uh, not, I mean, no, not really. I mean, I, I, I think it, it especially Demetrius Robertson, it's mm-hmm. a problem if he doesn't come out. But, you know, on the year, 162 yards for George Pickens, 170 for, or 160 for Dominic Blaylock, 73 for DeAndre Swift. This team has weapons, right? Lawrence Cager has 57, right? Right now, Dominic Blaylock, Eli Wolf, uh, Trey Blunt, but that's a small sample size, all have a 100% success rate on catches. Mm-hmm. For the year, George Pickens has a 36% explosive rate and a 64% success rate on his catches. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of a lot of talent in this uh, in this wide receiving core despite those two injuries. And I'm not going to act like especially Robertson wouldn't hurt, but I don't think it would be a reason for us to lose the game. I don't want to talk too much about what I think we're going to do against Notre Dame, but yeah, we'll have plenty of time I have a that. feeling that the, yeah, I have a feeling that the wide receivers are not going to matter that much. Yeah. Uh, one more piece, uh, one more stat actually in there while you're talking about wide receivers, we have a 0% drop rate across the board for all receivers. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's a good feeling. Really impressive. Yeah. Now that's what our numbers say. I will say like, I saw a couple of passes that I, I thought were drops, but mm-hmm. If the official score doesn't score it as a drop, then it's not going to be seen as one. Yeah. Um, there have not been there have not been many where it's been like hit the guy's hands and then fallen out. Mm-hmm. So or any really. No, so that's nice. Yeah. The, the only ones that I saw that were were kind of questionable, and this is a note that I took in my observations, was just that I could I, when I'm looking at the quarterback and the receivers, there were a few where the receivers appeared as if they maybe got started slower than they needed to. And the mm-hmm. only reason I come to that conclusion is because I trust Jake Fromm's experience and uh, his gameplay to put the ball where it needs to be. Um, and so what that still kind of requires is the receiver getting to where the ball is going to be, essentially. And there were just a few where mm-hmm. the, the receivers just didn't get where they needed to be. And it wasn't because of like exceptional coverage necessarily, even though they were able to keep up with them. But it it definitely seemed like there were a few moments where the the our receivers weren't getting to where they needed to go quick enough, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, George Pickens definitely had a couple of those moments. And yeah, you're right. That doesn't count as a drop, but it functionally is a drop if you run the wrong route. Yeah. Right. So that, that I'm just saying that stat is not, you know, sure. if you go check, if you go check ESPN and they say our drop rate is 2% or whatever, that's, that's why there's a difference. Mm-hmm. So what other observations can you come away from this game with that you're you're excited to take away with you? Yeah, so I had a couple of things. I thought Pickens was the highlight of the day, but speaking of what we were just talking about, I thought the entire receiving core looks good. Uh, Dominic Blaylock continues to impress. Mm-hmm. He looks really, really good. I thought Pickens looked really good, but the whole receiving core was great. I thought the offensive line had a really good day. We talked about, right, this is a team that has the defensive end talent that they can attempt stunts. And it looked like they were, but that just wasn't happening. So it's very clear that, you know, we said if it becomes a meme, the coaches know. And it's very clear that they they address that. 
I thought Pickens has an enormous, enormous ceiling, but I think Blaylock does too. Blaylock just looks, you know, the the sort of weird thing people always said about Blaylock coming out of high school was that he he has good top end speed, but he has great game speed. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed was that he just looks he looks he just looks smooth. Like he's not like a real twitchy athlete. And I don't mean that he's not fast. I mean that he just gets he goes from zero to one hundred so smoothly that he just sort of seems to slip by by people effortlessly, which I think is pretty cool. And also I think sort of bodes well for his development as a slot receiving threat and even as an outside receiving slot threat, because a lot of what he does is that he just sort of avoids contact, right? When he has someone who's in phase with him and shadowing him, he's really good at making like these minute body adjustments and very slight turns to his routes mm-hmm. so that they can't stay with him, which I thought looks, was, it, it bodes very well for him. You know, Pickens got chewed out several times. I, I have a feeling that Pickens is just the type of guy that he puts out and responds to aggressiveness. I don't know if Kirby is really like, angry at pickens i think that he has just analyzed maybe correctly that pickens is just the kind of guy that like he's really intense and Mm -hmm. he responds to intensity uh i thought that the defense looked really good i think stokes continues to look really dominant i think you know people just aren't throwing at him now so that is uh i'm not saying he's the deandre baker type yet but that is sort of one of the first things that would presage him becoming a deandre baker type he's just fast and long man yeah and he's just in the right part he's just in the right spot almost all the time and he's got really really good hands when it comes to knocking stuff down one one positive development i did think in the back seven was that we played tyreek savinson and tyson campbell a lot today Mm -hmm. uh, that day and they got thrown at a lot because uh they just weren't throwing at at, uh stokes and i thought they both looked good man yeah they gave up both of them gave up a play or two but neither of them were devastating and they made sure tackles uh stevenson had a had a pass breakup i think uh campbell did as well although i get their numbers mixed up so i think that's a really good development because what happened last year with deandre baker was that when stevenson was opposite deandre baker he just got picked on and that's going to continue to happen if stokes continues to develop and so to have those two looking good is it really bodes well i thought lewis sign looked really good he had the interception in the end zone uh (laughs) the miss the man with no name Mm -hmm. uh lewis sign i you know i think it's hard to pick nits too much with the performance on the day but i did i do think that we had several young players who continue to develop in such a way that the projection for what they can be not next year but this year continues to look better and better and so that's really good right we always knew that george pickens was going to be good at some point in his career we always knew nolan smith was probably going to be good sometimes in his year his career right the fact that these guys look good even in burst right now in their third game is very exciting for what they look like at the end of the year right a you know when you get to the sec championship your entire team are basically sophomores you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. so and again i don't want to you know fall down to the you have to beat bama fallacy but if you're thinking about what does this team do in the postseason the fact that you have these freshmen who are really really emerging quickly really looks good for that from that standpoint right and you know that includes people like i thought quay walker looked really good he had a sack i thought Nicobe Dean continues to look good. One of my big takeaways was that I think we're in a four-man rotation at inside linebacker right now. I think Monty Rice and Trey Crowder know where to grow. Tay Crowder know where to go, and they can make tackles most of the time, but I don't think either of them has the speed, and I think it looks like right now at least that we're rotating them, and I would say probably not for Notre Dame, but maybe by the time we get to USC, this might be a game where you know we, we see either 
uh, Dean or Crowder or Tyndall starting. Mm-hmm. It looks like that uh, Crowder and Dean are ahead of Tyndall and, and Dean is like the first freshman up every time. But I, I think that's really good because Monty Rice and Tay Crowder are both really good guys. They both play really well, but neither of them has the athletic season, uh, the athletic athletic ceiling that the players behind them do. It's really easy to have players with high athletic ceiling, but that doesn't really mean anything if they're not pressing the people in front of them, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of recruits coming into Georgia, and this was like one of the big knocks on Rick, actually, was that you would have these recruits come in, and they wouldn't really do anything, and then they would go to the NFL, and it would look great, right? The talent development aspect. And it's pretty clear that not only are these recruits you know, uber talented, but they're also developing well, and they're starting to push the people in front of them. And that is a very, very good sign, right? You'll recall that in the 2017 season, which was sort of this like magical ride to excellence, that there were freshmen who played major roles on that team. Any special team, you're going to have to have freshmen step up, right? I mean, if you think about Swift's role in the SEC championship in particular, you need someone like that. And it's good, it's good to see that this 2018 recruiting class has come in And there's like five of them who are doing it, right? I think we can expect to get pretty solid contributions from Nolan Smith, N'Kobe Dean, George Pickens, just to start for the rest of the year. And so that that does excite me, sort of in a more holistic sense. Mm -hmm. So coming out of this game, do you have an offensive MVP, defensive MVP? What are you thinking? I mean, offensively... I, I mean, offensively, I would say Blaylock. Yeah. I thought Blaylock just looked really good. He's not as flashy as Pickens. And like, I understand, like, I'm losing my mind about Pickens as well. <laughs> we have not had, we have, I mean, I'm not saying he's AJ Green, but we have not had a player on, in the wide receiver room like him since AJ Green. Yeah. Right. And so he's not guaranteed to become AJ Green, but we have not had anyone close to that in a long time. His, his, you know, catch radius is ridiculous. But I also think Blaylock, Blaylock is a slot wide receiver that is not short. No. Right. And that, and when you have somebody like that who has slot wide receiver speed and has the ability to do quick change of directions and burst, but he's also not like, you know, 5'8 or whatever, and he can be strong inside and he can run cross, crossing routes, like that is. That is a dangerous, dangerous weapon because then you can start running your slot receiver on what are essentially tight end routes and ma- and getting him matched up against the inside linebackers. And when you match Dominic Blaylock against an inside linebacker, even at the SEC level, he's going to take it for a touchdown a significant amount of the time. This is one of those games where there is not a ton to say other than, damn, that looked good kind of thing. Um, yeah. One of my big takeaways is that it kind of ties into the offensive and defensive MVP kind of segment that we're kind of cobbling together. Um, My, my defensive MVP, I believe is Tyler Clark. I think Tyler Clark is just absolutely outstanding, which is not a surprise by any means, but watching him play, I I tried a lot to, to just kind of focus on him the whole game and the way he's able to engage, hold legally for as long as he needs to hold uh, any players. And sometimes you know, more than one player, of course. And then he's so easily able to disengage and then make a play on the ball carrier was just kind of breathtaking in a way. I, I think that he is just a very, very special talent. Um, I really enjoy watching him. Um, but he ended up ha- being the, the the highest tackler for the game for the team. He had five total tackles. Two of those were solos, one and a half sacks, and one and a half tackle for loss. And he is just really, really good. You know, he's in one of those roles where if you don't hear about him, it's because he's doing well. And yeah. so it's one of those things you really have to just kind of pay attention to in order to actually notice. Um, one of the easiest ways to tell an offensive and def- or if an offensive and defensive lineman is doing well, especially in running plays, is if you just look at the lineman and you see where where their bodies move when they hit, 
most of the time the person who gets the other guy to move in the direction they want is having a good game right that's mm-hmm. just like a very basic like viewing axiom if you try to sort of like watch it football more intelligently one of the things you can do is to try to watch what's happening with the quarterback and the skill players while also seeing like the shape of the offensive line right is the offensive line getting collapsed are they opening holes are they making a clean pocket etc 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 and when you watch tyler clark play he just looks heavy on every play yeah like the like it's he look it looks a lot of the times at the snap like dropping like a bowling ball onto like a stretched out sheet you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where it's like the 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 line just buckles around where he is. And even if he doesn't get a tackle on that play, if you put the center's ass into the front of the quarterback, <laughs> you're going to be successful on most of the plays that that happens. And so I'm, I'm really excited. He's not playing nose tackle, but a lot of the times he's lining up at the... He's not listed as a nose tackle, and he doesn't really have like nose tackle size. But since we've been playing so many spread teams, and this will continue to be the case um, against Notre Dame he is going to line up at like the in the either a gap or like at zero like on the head of the center a lot and so because of that it's you know if he continues to have these moments where he just sort of like destroys the center even if he doesn't make a play that is a really good way to take an offense apart so like it's it's a very exciting thing i also think trayvon walker man trayvon walker is continuing to do kind of the same thing Trayvon Walker is like Tyler Clark, but with less experience, and he seems to be a little bit less strong, but he's fast. So mm-hmm. I think I think the defensive line, man, the defensive line this year is really good. It really, really is really, really good. They I, and if you include the outside linebackers in that, like they're not playing against the run as good as well as I would like them to, but just especially against the pass, that whole the front seven has looked really good. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, one more takeaway I wanted to add is that it's really exciting to kind of see how well all of our JUCO transfers are doing. I know DJ Daniel had a lot of breakups uh, in this game. Jermaine Johnson played really well. He got a sack on the game. And uh, of course, Stetson Bennett is Stetson Bennett, and, and he played just fine. Like, and I think that watching him play is going to be really interesting going forward as a sort of uh, trying to piece together what next year might look like. But I think that with the JUCO transfers that came in, I think that that's really great going forward and a, really a great testament to just kind of how well you can do in this system and the playing time you'll get as somebody that could transfer into Georgia going forward. And I think that that's a, it's just a great case to make for uh, recruiting in the following years. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, bringing in guys who only have one year to play and actually giving them playing time is a good year, a good way to get more guys who only have one year to play to come in for yeah. sure. I mean, and I think it's I think it's really instructive that Jermaine Johnson looked really good, but he didn't really get into the game until the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And he's the number one overall. He's the number one overall Juco tr- uh, prospect on the year. I, I, I continue to just I continue to emphasize to people that this team is better than even teams in the past couple of years from UGA. Yep. Like per SP plus Georgia's like raw SP plus score right now is 32, which is higher than they were most of the year during the 2017 year. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're better than they were in 2017 or that the results will be better or worse. I'm just saying that objectively they are playing at a very, very high level that not even the 17 and 18 teams were able to do for their entire year. Mm -hmm. That raw SP plus number is adjusted for opponent too. Which is a, which is actually kind of what I was about to hop onto and and let the SP plus ratings just did just come out today, like right before we started recording and we did just hop Clemson, which is very exciting. Yeah. So we're 32.3 to Clemson's 31.8. Yeah, I mean, and there's, of course, like a pretty big gap between Georgia at 32.3 and Alabama at 36.8. Yeah. Uh, overall, uh, SP Plus has Georgia ranked fourth in offense, seventh in defense, and third in special teams. And if you look through the top, 
like uh, this is just scanning. If you look through the top ten, UGA is the only team with every every unit in single digits. Yeah, there is not a noticeable weakness. Yeah, it, that's a very good sign, and that and that was one of the hallmarks of the two thousand seven uh, the two thousand seventeen team as well. Is there's just a really balanced team, mm-hmm. and and I think that those numbers reflect what we're seeing. Right, the, the defense is good, but they're not yet like a top five defense but they're getting close and the offense is unequivocally a top five offense yeah and i think one thing you know the the, the big margin between georgia and alabama right now is their offense with alabama's sp plus uh offensive rating at 48.3 and georgia's is 44.5 but with the special teams having such a huge margin between them uh alabama's ranked 50th and georgia ranked third i think that that's actually going Mm -hmm. to land further into the offense than you know than alabama's can so it might make up for a little bit of that difference going forward too and there's that to look forward to. And well i mean we'll we'll just see like yeah. it's still small sample size the pre the pre the preseason numbers really loved alabama and mm-hmm. for good reason right so since the sample size continues to be so small we're not going to know unequivocally how well how good this offense looks especially since alabama has just been dismantling teams with average to below average uh defenses mm-hmm. just like uga has and really the big difference between alabama alabama season and georgia season right now is that all uh georgia did not you know atomize vanderbilt the way that alabama atomized we'll, we'll see we'll see what these numbers look like next week yeah we'll, we'll kind of we'll keep an eye on it of course as we tend to do mm-hmm. uh next week being the the first big test for georgia but the last piece of this game you to talk about the prediction review Going into our over-unders, the first over-under was Arkansas sacks 1.5. You had an under. Uh, they had zero sacks on the day. I had an over. Uh, but we we did pretty effectively shut down their main contributor to this this statistic. William Bradley King was fairly ineffective the entire day with only one tackle throughout the entire game, which I think is pretty outstanding, um, especially being mm-hmm. somebody who was a, a super effective edge rusher in previous years. Yeah. Over-under, UJs have a great eight and a half. We both said over. Uh, just looking at tackles alone, we had four sacks and seven tackles for loss. So, it, yeah. you know, and then you add in uh, eight passes deflected and an interception, and th- it was a pretty great day for Havoc. <laughs> then we it really was. It really was. It was. It was just pretty outstanding to kind of see everybody uh, do what they needed to do. The next one over under garbage time. This is the CBC garbage time because our garbage time is defined by any point of the game where there is a 24-point difference between the teams playing. Uh, I fully realize, people who are statistics heads, that that is a bad garbage time definition, <laughs> but it's it's one that I can f- track. Yep. So get f- or send me your own garbage time numbers. Yep. In which case, don't, in which case, don't get f- So the, <laughs> ga- the, the game went into CBC garbage time at the 1021 mark in the second, and it never left, giving 40 minutes and 21 seconds of total garbage time yeah but you know and felt good about that and that the reason why garbage time is bad is because we still kept a lot of the ones in until midway through the third so eh. yeah which kind of explains why we won by 55 points yeah. well i mean it, it, i mean there's two things one this is part of the game mm-hmm. when you're a sunbelt team you're gonna just get shellacked so it's like you know the, everyone here is an adult mm-hmm. whatever and two I don't know that it was necessarily sour grapes to keep the ones in. No. You know, if you're not worried about injuries, and frankly, Arkansas State's defense did not look very impressive, so that at least decreased the injury risk. If you're not worried about that, then there, and you have a very big game against a top 10 team coming up, there's no reason to not leave your ones in. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, until you feel comfortable about it. Yeah. 
Uh, and the last one is over under UGA 200 yards rushing. We both said over. They had 268 on the day. Honestly, I expected a lot more. And even further, I did not expect the passing number to be higher than the rushing number, to be completely honest. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. that's pretty pretty neat because if, if y'all have been watching Jake Fromm and the way he's calling everything now, uh, it looked like Arkansas State was expecting Georgia to go run first, as most teams would in this situation. But Jake Fromm continued to change the plays right there on the line into pass plays and not a whole lot of like under plays, like under slants and stuff like that. It was a lot further... Um, downfield and trying to he mixed up a whole lot uh right before any play was snapped did you notice anything on that same i mean he he seemed to be i I think you're right he was taking what they gave him Mm -hmm. and i think that we but i also think we kind of thought we could do whatever yeah and we just wanted to get our wide receivers some work because we had so much inexperience Mm -hmm. and so richard johnson richard johnson on the last um uh, podcast ain't played nobody was talking about like is georgia going to unwrap their pass offense and i think we did a little bit and i think some of that is you want to get people ready. But the, mm-hmm. another part is just like, you want to put some stuff on tape so that you can at least work the meta second level, which is to say like, here's what's on tape. If you prepare for this, we will then do X, right? If you're prepared for Y, we will do X, right? And so I don't think that's, you know, I, I don't really have a problem with that at all. Also, yeah. you know, it's nice to have a gaudy stat day. At the end of the day, I mean, honestly, style points matter, man. And <laughs> because a lot of times style points are indicative of a great team mm-hmm. destroying a bad team. And even when they don't try, great teams destroy bad teams, right? And that that's why S&P Plus, even though they it, it adjusts for garbage yeah. time, it also adds, like, you, you get bonus for just blowing people out because that's, you know, there's a strong correlation between blowing people out and being dominant and success, right? Which seems, you know, I know, like, obviously, duh, but that is something that we should be keep in mind. Like if we are going to just like totally dominate teams like this, <laughs> then it, it looks good for us the rest of the season. Let's just say that it does. Yeah. And then the very last bit of predictions was the actual score. It was a 33 point spread predicted over under 58 points. The actual score was 58 to zero. So beat the spread, but yeah. did not beat the over under bet the point under, scored, huh? which I think is still hilarious. You did take this one. Yeah. Bet the, bet the under on that D eight point. 52-14 was your prediction. Mine was 45-13. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had less margin there between the actual score and yours, so you took the win on that one. So this is an overall pretty great Nathan Day as far as predictions I, I gave him like a sympathy so, touchdown. I thought we might give him a sympathy. I, I, I'm not mm-hmm. saying that we would it's, ever let them score, but I thought we would have the like fourth string in way earlier. Well, yeah, again, we kept the ones in way longer than I thought we ever would. So let's let's talk about some season stats because uh, we just got comparative stats running over at SB Nation, which means now I have like everything with ranks. I'll give you some just highlights overall for offense and defense. Mm-hmm. So starting on offense, I will say this offense is better than I thought they were. So let's just go through some things. Yards per play overall rank, third oh, in the yeah. nation. Success rate rank, second in the nation. Rush success rate rank, first in the nation. Pass success rate rank, fourth in the nation. Yards per rush rank, fifth. Yards per pass rank, tenth. Stuff rate, fifth. Right Opportunity rate, eighth. I mean, th- those numbers, we can stop there. Like, those numbers are ridiculous. Scoring opportunity, one, another one that I thought was good was scoring opportunity success rank, which is yeah. basically like, if you're inside of the 40, how often are you successful? First. Red Zone success rate, 12th. So the idea that we might have be having, we have any more red zone problems has been kind of, I hope, put to rest because that's those are all very good numbers. Also, offensively, you know, we continue to be lethal on early downs. First down success rate, third second down success rate third third down to success rate 24th still good above average fourth down success rate 15th that's a small sample size thing standard down success rate eighth 
eighth, pass down success rate eleventh. That is a dominant offense. This offense is way better mm. than I thought it was. I had not seen the comparative numbers. I could only tell you stuff in a vacuum. This 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 offense yeah. is ridiculous. Havoc rate allowed, and this is something that's going to be really interesting going into Notre Dame. Havoc rate allowed is currently twelfth. So that offensive line is good, and it's clear that they're good. Uh, defensively, this it, better than I thought, honestly. Uh, red zone success. So overall, uh, their yards per play rank tenth. Uh, their success rank is thirteenth. Their rush success rank twenty seventh, and their pass success rate is fourteenth. That's sort of a nice overview of how this defense is personality wise. Overall, they're better against the pass than the run by a semi significant margin. Yards per play surrendered uh, on pass are is 33rd or is sixth but yards per play rush surrendered is 33rd so there's a significant difference between how well we're doing against the pass as opposed to the mm-hmm. rush now that is good because two of the three teams that we throw that we well three really all three of the teams that we have played really like to throw but it you know it does say that there is some mm-hmm. there we, we are having some problems against the run although i don't know that we can really say you know the fourth or the seventh overall ranked defense is having that much problem with anything you know a couple of our lower numbers on defense in particular that stuff rate is 74th we i think we're keeping people from being successful too often on the run but we are not blowing team we are not yet we our defensive line is not yet good enough to just blow plays up on the run consistently opportunity rate rank is fourth which which kind of tells you that story that difference right the difference between stuff rank and stuff rate rank and opportunity rate rank tells you that we are really good at keeping them from being successful getting more than five yards but we are not good at hitting them in the backfield right now other lower numbers uh havoc rate rank is 70th you know that is a personality number so yeah i mean it's just about average and that is a personality number so i mean you want it to be higher but we had a really good defense in 2017 and we didn't have a lot of uh havoc so you know one of the things that reinforces the idea that we're doing worse against the pass or against the run in the past right now is that our first down success rate is 36th. Our standard down success rate is 57th, but our pass down success rate is third. Right. So we, I, I think that that tells us mm-hmm. that a, the soft, the freshman and sophomore corners are looking really good, but B that the, you know, the defensive line and, and I think a lot of it is inside linebacker play needs to step up. And that you know, I think that, that that feels good to me because it tracks with what I've been seeing and it tracks with what we've been talking about, right? We've been talking about here, we've been talking about on this program for the last three weeks how we thought that Trey Crowder and that Tay Crowder, God, Tay Crowder and Monty Rice really need to step it up. And I think it's objectively clear that they do. I also think that, you know, despite the fact that Jordan Davis and Tyler Clark are having really good years, that we need to find more depth on the defensive line behind them. And we need to find people, especially at nose tackle behind Jordan Davis, who can really cause havoc. Julian Rochester has not had a high usage rate this year. And he has, I mean, frankly, he hasn't played a lot. He doesn't have good stats because he hasn't played hardly at all. And he is a guy who's like, as even with injury problems and even coming off of an injury, you need guys like him in the center of your defense to start being a little bit more productive or you need to find some production at that position. Now, obviously, these are all champagne problems. But when we get to, you know, a certain game that will remain unnamed Mm -hmm. later in the year, assuming we get there and it matters that those tiny margins at the edges of things are going to become really, really important. So, do you want to go to our favorite section of the day? I would love to. So, we'll get into our favorite segment of the show, the hashtag AskCBC segment. So, 
if you would like to be on the show with your questions, all you got to do is hashtag AskCBCS on any of the social media platforms or just regular old email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. But our very first question comes from Zahn Hostetter. Uh, how do you get them stats? Oh, yeah. I already talked to them about this. Uh, mm-hmm. I have those stats from SB Nation because I'm working with SB Nation. Yes. That wonderful place that puts our podcast up on the uh, website each week. Yeah. It's now me putting the podcast up. I'm the dog. Look at me. I'm the dog sports now. You are the dog sports. <laughs> okay. The next one comes from Justin Smith. Do you think our passing game will suffer at all with the potential of Tyler Simmons and D-Rob being out? Do you think it will matter or will we be able to just run it down their throats? I assume he's talking about Notre Dame, but if you're talking about the rest mm-hmm. of the season, yes, we will be able to run it down their throats. I think that, well, this is also, this Notre Dame team is a team that's given up uh, several hundred yards yeah. uh, on the ground each game. So yeah. we'll talk more about that yeah. in the next game or the, the next episode. Abby Vincent Key asks, what is your favorite part of game day at UGA? I want to hear this from you because I've been to a lot more game days than you. So I want, I want to know sure. what you as the the relatively less experienced person think is the best one. Sure. Um, I have two two pieces, two parts that are my favorite parts of game day. One is I just love the energy. I love that it's it feels like nothing bad can happen like there is it's just all positive all happiness everyone's having the best time ever and it's just so many people and this is the same reason why i love dragon con as much as i do it's everybody who loves this thing the most is all they've all converged on this place to all have this shared experience together Um, that is a very like odd kind of uh, vague way to answer that question Um, but it's very 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 much true for me a very specific favorite part of game day for me is always 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 the battle hymn soloist uh right before dog walk i have a very specific one and this is like one that is like there's like two people that have this experience every day so Mm -hmm. after i mean obviously battle hymn soloist right but after the battle hymn solo i i walk the battle hymn soloist out i love one thing i would say that is not my favorite part but a part i love is i liked i really love seeing the battle hymn soloist and their parents and everyone's crying and they're so happy and it's just very sweet but after the after he plays the solo or they play the solo, we walk out to the back. They say goodbye to their parents, our family, whatever, who loved ones. We take some pictures and then we walk down. Uh, the Battle Home Solace is in 336 and 337. And we walk down the stair tower behind that section. And then we walk behind. I think it's like gate nine that's up there past the the past the bridge or whatever. And we walk down this set of stairs that goes sort of around from the third level down to the first level by gate one where the dog walk is. And as mm-hmm. we're walking that it's right when the band is making the tunnel and they are doing like the, the Saturday video. And then if your blood runs red and black and I love that walk and it's because there aren't many people left, even in a big game, most people have gotten to their seats and you can just slowly feel this sort of like primal visceral blood, like energy in the stadium, like pressing out on the boundaries of the stadium. Right. Yeah. We think about concrete and iron and rebar as these sort of like immutable, unmovable materials. But there's this moment when you realize that, like, we made this thing, humans made this thing, and we think that it can't be touched. But even this thing that we can't, that, that we think is so strong and won't move, we can, we can make that thing flex and vibrate with just our own voices. And this, like, the swell of the crowd into Krypton and, being just outside of the stadium and feeling like sort of the oppressive energy coming out of the tunnels as we walk behind gate one and then into the tunnel in the Northwest corner is like a really powerful thing. And it always just makes me think about like 
Like that's why humanity continues to exist, right? It's like you, for a dumb reason, a really stupid reason, you put together this thing and it's tribal and it's kind of meaningless at the end of the day, but you make something like powerful and strong and unchangeable that'll last years and years and years and past the end of people's lives. But even that thing, you as a human can affect and change and push at the boundaries of its endurance. You know, I'm really glad I didn't say something real stupid before you said all that. Like, you know, hot dog tailgate. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I've had a lot to time. I've had a lot of time to think about that. Next question comes from Sambo Sam Rents, I assume. He asked two questions. And Sam Rents is just for the record, like the greatest human being, the greatest, the, the damnedest, goodest dog, the best red coats. He's amazing. Anyway. Uh question is can we get a shout out for the Misty Mountain funeral at the Sousa show this coming game? Okay, so I will yes, you can. I'll talk about it in a second. But I will say I think one of the things we're going to add start and I haven't said this to you. So surprise, one segment we're going to add to the previews from now on is I'm just going to go through the individual times of the Redcoat schedule throughout the day uh, and just plug everything up so people know when we're going to be moving where and stuff. So if you want to find me, you'll know mm-hmm. where I'll be. So uh, the, if you don't know, the Redcoat Sousa phones, the section that I work with, we do this thing called the Sousa show where we go up at the Tate bus stop. So not on the Tate bridge, but right there by the bus stop behind where 960 the ref records the pregame show between memorial hall and tate and we make an arc and we play just like five to ten to fifteen minutes depending on how much we have prepared um of susan music which is just four-part tuba music and it's all weird and it's just us being weird but one of the things we started doing is that we play misty mountain cold which if you don't know what that is it's the song from the hobbit (laughs) that the dwarves (laughs) sing about like going on an adventure uh it's in the original uh animated hobbit as well and it was actually written by tolkien but neither here nor there and we play it and what we do is we take a hat of the opposing team and we set it in the middle of the arc of sousaphones and as we play this sort of like beautiful dirge uh one at a time the people with working with the sousaphones will walk out and put down carnations on the hat uh we 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 were thinking about making a using a different song but as of right now we're using misty mountain for that but you should come to the Caesar show anyway because it's really cool and there aren't many people that do it. Like I don't there are a lot of HBCU Sousa sections who have like a whole big set of things they can play, but there aren't many division one, I mean read white bands who will mm-hmm. uh who will do this with their individual sections. The Sousa show and the drum show are kind of like unheralded, really cool things about uh UGS game day. And that really cracks me up. I, that's one of those like one of those things that I see, like the the Sousa shows every every single time, I'm like, never change. Like it's so near and dear. <laughs> yeah, I, I sent it to one. I sent it to one of my good friends, Laura Patterson, who apparently has been like plugging me to her friends and st- plugging us to her friends, and like, oh, I didn't tell you this. Laura apparently mm-hmm. got a text from some one of her friends being like, "Hey, you have to listen to this. It is so cool." And it was just us. <laughs> and she was like, "Well, it's <laughs> That's no, so funny. It's no big deal. I'm very good friends with them." Uh, so whoever you, whoever you are, <laughs> listener who texted Laura, respect. Thank you, Laura. I sent that video to Laura, and Laura sent me back just a message that said, "What what other section would ever like? Who else would have the yep. temerity to just be like, hey, here's here's a bass instrument that shouldn't play melody." <laughs> just playing a bunch of melody in four parts <laughs> real question is jake Fromm as efficient as it seems he is by the eye test yes i mean currently U- yeah. uga's pass uh uga's pass success rate which is you know just i i think the best measure of efficiency 
is mm-hmm. currently fourth in the nation at 61%. And that is that is staggeringly good. Also, one thing we didn't talk about in our season stats is the fact that our pass success rate is so high, but our uh, standard down success rate, is our pass down success rate is slightly lower at 11 instead of fourth, tells you that we're mm-hmm. having a lot of success throwing on first and second down too. Anyway, carry on. Oh yeah, it's a good personality stat to make sure that you are, you know, you're keeping the other teams guessing, especially the ones that you're about to come up against, I would think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. MK Worthington, this is mom, not my mom, but a mom that I call mom. She she has a very she's very mom presence, yeah. Yes, very much so. This is actually uh Kiwi Dan's mother-in-law. Is it really? Yes, and she is everyone's biggest fan. Dude, I had no idea. I love Ki- I love Dean. He's so- Dean. Dean. <laughs> uh, Dean was I don't like think Dan listens to the show. Yeah, that's fine. I wish. But Dean was like the best part of your was the absolute best part of your bachelor party. Anyway, going on. Mary wants to know, mom. Uh, I won big wagering on UGA against Notre Dame last year. Should I up the ante this year? Oh, I don't want to. I want to. I don't want to tip our hand. Mm-hmm. Currently, the line's at thirteen. That feels a little spicy to me. But if the That's line, a little spicy. If the line got down to ten, I think I would take UGA minus ten. If the yeah. line was at like eight, I would slam UGA minus eight. But I don't think you're going to get a, be able to get it below thirteen. Now, if you could get a, if you could just run, if you could bet the i mean i don't care about betting and i've never done it and i probably never will but if you could get like the money line or you could get uga straight up that i would take if i if i was going to yeah. bet on who would win the game i would bet on georgia 13 they win the game 67 percent of the time 13 feels spicy i think the number is higher than that but we can talk about it in the next episode um yeah 13 is a little spicy if you can get it below 13 if you get a 10 even or 11 i might think about it also depends on what the juice mm-hmm. is anyway very last question comes from hannah schaefer what disney princess is jake from so what they replied back on the twitter thread was was snow white snow white's a great answer because jake from is like charming but sort of vanilla like he's still very innocent and, and almost naive yeah he's yeah he's sweet but like he jake from has like low-key swagger though he definitely has some swagger yeah i don't i wouldn't call snow I mean, snow White has some swagger like she knows she's like she knows she's hot because she's got seven dudes that follow her around all day okay yeah um, no i respect that and jake from has like yeah 10 million women following him around there there yeah. there are sousaphones who i don't think listen to this but will still remain like, nameless that during every dog walk as he comes by it's like you would think it was freaking nick jonas <laughs> <laughs> i would watch he that looked game. at me ah! <laughs> um, but a real answer i was trying to figure out if i thought he was more Belle from beauty and the beast mm. because she is i'd like to think that that jake Fromm is is rather compassionate and gentle but still very fierce which i think that those are like when when faced with adversity like still comes at it strong much like bell but then i was trying to think like maybe he's also a little bit like i just, oh i have a good answer a little bit like I, rapunzel like a little rapunzel i can see i can see rapunzel i i could still i i could see merida okay merida's good from brave that's not a disney mm-hmm. movie is Merida's it? good no it is that's no, a it's pixar a movie, movie. Yeah. yeah i think merida but here i have an actual answer i have the right answer okay. Are you ready for the right answer mm-hmm. jake from is ray from star wars Here's why. Just allow me to make my case briefly. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. A. Ray is a sand rat who lives in the dirt. Jake Fromm likes to fish more than he likes to play football. B. Mm-hmm. Ray is beautiful but doesn't try too hard. Jake Fromm has been wearing the same pair of khakis with the same sport coat for 30 years, so far as <laughs> I can tell. And yes, I realize he's only like 20 years old. <laughs> Three. 
Jake Fromm was did not come from a destined line, but there were early things that happened in his life that presaged his recent success. In the sense that his parents were not athletes, however, he did win the Little League World Series. And four, and to me this is the most important point, with both Jake Fromm and Ray, I love them like children and yet am strangely attracted to them. Huh. So that's our show though. Um, no, it's not. No, 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 it's not. We we have we have uh we have James we have James Bearfield questions. Did he send stuff in? Yeah, he did. He sent me he sent us a direct message. Bow. Ooh, baby James, I love you. We every day. What comic battle book battle would you equate to the Arkansas State game and why? I think this is the battle in and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a movie reference. And it, this happens in the comic books too, uh, much more in a much more like grander scale. But I would say it's the moment in Avengers Endgame when Carol comes back. Carol, who is Captain Marvel, but I call her Carol because she's my secret wife. <laughs> when Carol comes back, she is my wife's secret wife as well. Yeah, she's also. I mean, Brie Larson is my wife's secret wife, so it's good. It's sort of like a tripod kind of situation. But when when Captain Marvel comes back from space and just like destroys that uh, the Thanos's battle cruiser by just like driving straight through it, that's mm-hmm. that's what this was. <laughs> Where it's like, ah, uh, he sh- she should probably <laughs> win this, huh? Oh, she's just mm-hmm. gonna drive right through it. Oh, oh, okay. Well. Sorry, that's fine. That's I guess. fine. And there's that specific <laughs> moment, like the original in ga- the original thing that Endgame is pulled from in Infinity War was actually written like way before Captain Marvel was even a woman. The first one was, mm-hmm. but that does happen. That is like a very Captain Marvel fight where Captain Marvel is like has some internal problem, like she has a brain tumor, or she's like trying to restrain herself, or she has just gone like into her weird dark Phoenix mode, which is called Warhawk, but whatever. And then she, but she's just like holding herself back and then someone will like piss her off enough that she'll like just decide to atomize them. And then she atomizes them and you're like, well, why didn't you just do that in the beginning? Which is like, that's how I felt a lot of this game where I was like, why haven't we just done this every time? Let's just win every game against a bad team, 55 to nothing. Just me, like I was watching this game and I was thinking like, do you remember three years ago we were doing this podcast? No, we weren't. Mm -hmm. No, four years ago. Sorry. Do you remember four years okay. ago when we were playing uh, Vanderbilt and we ran like this weird off tackle, like jet sweep play twice in a row after a timeout? So at some point during this game, I had this moment where I was thinking about when Jim Cheney called a jet sweep to our smallest wide receiver. And then he called this uh, on the deciding fourth down of the Vanderbilt game four years ago. And then they called a timeout and he called the same f- play coming out of timeout and then i thought about this game when we won 55 to nothing and it wasn't even uh, close and i was like why didn't we just do this the the whole time captain marvel why didn't you just (laughs) unleash your warhawk form and just like atomize everyone around you and i'd still think you're just as attractive like i don't need this narrative to make sense i'm in love with you i'll read these comic books when they're bad (laughs) and i did everything before kelly pseudoconic took over whatever I was just going to say there is a really fantastic comic book series where the Predator from uh, the Predator movies takes on certain comic book uh, groups. And there's one specifically called Archie versus Predator. And it's where the Predator comes through Hell and hangs out in Riverdale yes. and just basically murders all of your favorite Riverdale. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And they can't do anything. And you, and you love them so much. And man, what a sweet story they have of loss and sadness. Mm-hmm. But holy, does he kill them, huh? Yep, he sure does. That's my answer. 
<laughs> All right. James Hurfield, question number two. You predicted a much closer game. Does that make stats a liar? <laughs> we, you even said before, and you've said it a lot, is that stats do not completely predict everything they're not a predictor they are uh they give you a way to think about it and at least begin to speculate most predictive agencies give you a 50 percent. if if you can get if you're betting and you get to 50 percent, like you get it right 50 percent of the time on just the line on just who's going to win the game and by how much you're like you're making money off of this like mm-hmm. as your job right i was 17 points off the final f- score I did not just predict the game. I looked into the cosmos and read the weave and matrix of humanity and gave you a pretty accurate version of what has not yet been. Give me a score prediction for the AU versus UFC game if Bentley had been playing. Ooh, that's a really... I assume he means Alabama, not Auburn. That's a really good question. Alabama... The final score of Alabama-USC, 23-47. So hold on, give me a second. So... Holinsky misses like two sure touchdown passes inside of the red zone. So we just assume that they get one of them. That gets them to 30 to 47. That's a 17 point game. You got to figure that Holinsky, that Bentley probably throws one more pick, but one more interception. So I think you would probably see like 52, 37 because Bentley will throw a pick now. So, like, I think mm-hmm. he probably would have had a couple more touchdowns, but would have had another had an extra pick, which would have led to another yeah. touchdown. All right, number four. Which FC upset win did you like more, Citadel or Georgia State? <laughs> Georgia State. Oh, Citadel was good, though, because it was, like, hoisted on your game. own petard. I'm going to say it's Georgia State, because Citadel, it, I mean, at least we all knew Georgia Tech was going to be bad. Like, most reasonable Georgia Tech fans knew Georgia Tech was going to be bad. Uh, why, why Nasty Natty, not Nasty? Okay, because nasty. Wait, there's another one. Yeah, this is this is the, this is the last one. Why nasty okay. natty, not nasty? Because nasty natty is the name of one of the Caesar Show songs that we talked about, the from uh-huh. earlier. And the reason it's not nasty, James, is because now that I have been in charge of the Caesar section for five years, I've gotten them to play with I don't know some amount of tone quality. And since there aren't many of them that still Ooh. do that, I can yell at the ones who do. And just for the record, James, we both know you and Cameron Connor are good players. So it's not like you can't play. It's that you are choosing not to. So I just got them all to choose to play. Carry on. And that is our show. <laughs> we did it. We made a show. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or pretty much anywhere you can subscribe to a podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can do it one of two ways. You can hit us with a good review at the review site of your choice. We've gotten a couple of new ones. We'll have to read those soon. Or you can subscribe Mm -hmm. to our Patreon where you'll have access to our super secret Discord and other benefits coming soon. And you can listen to us record live and just be able to tap our beautiful, disgusting, horrible brains all the time. (laughs) Just like a line to us in your pocket. If you'd like to get in touch with us to yell at us about our political views or whatever, you can do that by searching Chapel Bell Curve on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I don't know why you would do it on Instagram. That's a photo app. You can also email us at chapelbellcurve.com if you are over 35. Go check out our... uh, You can go check out all of our work on Dog Sports. I have been writing advanced stats columns uh, twice a week. Probably will usually be Monday morning and Wednesday morning. Uh, and I would love it if you would comment there again. If you want to yell, if you're over 35 and you can't use email, and you still want to yell at me, uh, yell at me about my political beliefs, you can do it on there. If you enjoyed today's or in episode, person when you see him, or what? 
or in person when you see him at the games yeah yeah you can find me i'm gonna even give you my schedule that's how willing to fight i am <laughs> fight me <laughs> come fight me anyway if you enjoyed today if you enjoyed today's episode you want to get in touch with us or you want to hear your question answered live you can tag us with ask cbc um, or respond to one of our twitter posts that goes out uh, asking for questions and we will answer your question live on air we will catch you in the classic city this weekend for a very big game but until then go, go dogs, dogs.